Are there nerds here tonight? Nerds! You are a part of the lucky 10,000. With your hosts, Evan. Oh my god, it's Spider-Man. Ah, this is so awesome. And Carissa. You know, 1,200 people got to see me play Dota, and our team won. Being a nerd, it's not about what you love. It's about how you love it. Hey guys. Hey everybody. This is Evan. And I'm Carissa. And we are the Lucky 10,000, the podcast that gets you luckier than shoving your nose into the best smelling ass you've ever smelt. But first, we want to thank our supporters. That would be Podbean and Stitcher for having us on. Also, the Tangent Bound podcast for adding us to their awesome list of shows. Of course, as always, we are also on the thebeardedpodsnetwork.com where you can not only listen to us, but Teddy and the Bassman and the Bearded Ones Comedy Podcast featuring also myself and Jason Underwood. And I also have a couple of books on Audible. So look me up, Evan Harris and Audible. And if you listen to us through the Bearded Ones Podcast or Podbean or Stitcher, please do us a favor and check out another couple of podcasts on the Tangent Pound Network because the amateur podcast community is a great community that always needs your support. And if you're looking for other podcasts to get into, you can always check out the Pottern Family Forum. Yes. And you can find that at forum.potternfamily.com. That's mostly for podcasters, but there is a whole host of podcasters there promoting their work. So you can go there and find out what shows you might want to watch or listen to. Excellent. Before we get into the subject, uh, sometimes we take little sides. I would just like to make a quick side. Spring forward sucks ass. Onward. (laughs) Yeah, losing that hour just blows. Uh, It is the fucking worst because it's not just that day. I've been out of sync for like a week now. Yeah, it happens to most people. Yeah. So we do have something very personal to both of us, I think, to talk about. We're going to talk about man's best friend. Yes. I don't want to totally bring the show down right up at the top, but I had to put my corgi to sleep this past weekend. Oh, no. Yeah, he was a little over 14 years old. Oh, that's a that's a good life for a dog, yeah, especially a especially smaller dog. Yeah, especially for one so stupid and so <laughs> hell-bent on putting just anything he could in his mouth. Didn't care what it was, just it had to go in his mouth. Ah, uh, dog after my own heart. Yeah, so he had a really good life, but now it is over, and that was... And still is very sad. But I wanted to talk about dogs because I know that the internet is obsessed with cats. Yes. And I am kind of as well. I'm not immune to that. I have three cats of my own. Yes. And I noticed that dogs don't get a whole lot of the same attention. So I kind of wanted to give them some love because I love dogs too. Yeah. And that's the thing. This is not like us putting a podcast up stating we are dog people. I think, you know, saying you're a dog or cat person. It's about the same as saying you're a Star Wars, Star Trek person, like we were talking about in our our episode about Star Wars and Star Trek. That you you talk to most people, and there really is no true preference. Some people say there are, but that's usually because they haven't had a ton of interaction with one animal or the other. I don't have a dog right now. I have a cat, and I love him dearly. But dogs are pretty awesome. Yeah, they really are. And we have a long and storied history with them, you know, humans and dogs. Yes. And they're pretty freaking awesome. So I wanted to geek out about them for a little while because I love puppies. Let's do that. Well, puppies are awesome, of course. That's probably the most obvious thing anyone's ever said. Yeah. You know what's great? Breathing. Breathing. Breathing's good. Also, water. Water's nice. Yeah, water's nice. I like that. Everybody (laughs) loves puppies. But uh, just like how many many dogs do you think you've had in your life? I remember when I first met you, you had this gorgeous, was it a retriever? Golden retriever? Yeah, golden retriever. Big, just loving, just beautiful dog that was just nice to everyone. Golden Retrievers are so wonderful. They are one of the best breeds of dog, just period. They're just great. 
what was her name? Coco. Coco, that's right. And she was just the sweetest thing. A big dog. Yeah. Big, fat, lovable dog. Well, she wasn't fat. She I remember was her healthy. being kind of thick in the middle. She was She was very thick. Her family lineage was quite large. Her sire was, I mean, gigantic. And did you grow up with her? No, we got her when I was 13 or so, I think. And the one we had before that, Misty, she was hit by a car when she was like oh. two and a half or something, and she died. But she was the one I had when I was slightly younger than that. Mm-hmm. And I, I love Goldens. My parents actually, for a long time, they're not doing it now because they're doing their tour around the country thing in their RV, but right. for a long time they were rehabilitative foster parents to Goldens. Oh, that's great. In upstate, actually, in upstate South Carolina. They were a part of a group that would take grown golden retrievers, maybe from poor households or sure. that had been left because their owners left them or died or whatever, and kind of rehabilitate them to make them able to be adopted out into a new home. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and they love Goldens, and I inherited that from them because Goldens are great. <laughs> But my puppy was a corgi. Yeah, and corgis are, are pretty... Corgis are pretty freaking adorable is what they are. They are very cute. Now, do you consider yourself more of a small dog person or more of a big dog person? No, I'm more of a big dog person. I don't really like small dogs. I think the thing about the corgi that I love so much and kind of one of the major reasons we ended up getting ours is that they are small dogs. So at the time we lived in an apartment, so you can kind of home them in an apartment and they don't take up so much space. Right. But they think they're big dogs. They act like big dogs. They have big dog personalities. Yes. And that really gelled very well. That's very cool. So what are your personal, other than Goldens and Corgis, do you have any favorite breeds? Yeah, most of my favorite breeds are huge. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love Newfoundlands. Oh, yeah. They're slobbery as all hell, but they're so wonderful. And they're gigantic. I mean, Newfies, if you don't know, are oh, the massive. huge, big, fluffy black dogs. Yeah. And they're they're gigantic. They're like 100 pounds and mostly fur and muscle and teeth mm-hmm. and slobber. They're But they're very friendly and incredibly good, like guard dogs for children. Mm-hmm. They're really good with kids. So I don't know. They're just, they're very gentle for how gigantic they are. Yeah. And I love golden retrievers. They're, they are probably my favorite breed if I had to pick one. I mean, they're pretty awesome. They're, they're just the best. They're the best. (laughs) They're so friendly. Their mouths are soft enough. And when you say that, the hardness of a dog's mouth is how well they can hold on to something Mm -hmm. or how tightly they will hold on to something. So really hard mouth dogs like pit bulls, Mm -hmm. they will just crush something. Right. And they won't let go. Soft mouth dogs, the softer their mouth is, the more easily they can pick something up without damaging it and right. will let it go. So golden retrievers are so soft mouthed that they can hold eggs. Oh, cool. Without harming the egg at all. I did not know that. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. They're And they're very intelligent, so you can train them to do all manner of things. And yeah. they're so sweet. They are. And that's the thing about, I think, well, just about any pet, although we have had a recent death in the family, we have had a rabbit pass. And as much as I was sad for my daughter, I can't honestly say my heart was very broken. Yeah, I, I've heard the stories about how much you hate that little bastard it rabbit. Was, uh, it was terrible. It was a terrible, terrible pet. And I know that most you know rabbits in general are not necessarily bad pets. This one in particular, though, hated everything and attacked everything and didn't like to be touched or held or 
really was just a rodent in the corner of the kitchen who ingested things occasionally, and every once in a while my daughter would attempt to give it affection, and it would resoundingly reject that affection. So I wasn't that sad to see it go, but we gave it as good a life as we could. We didn't mistreat it. It's such a cliche, but it is so true that certain animals just sort of do weave their way into your heart and become such a big part of your life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When they're gone, it is like losing a limb or something. Well, and I mean, it's only been, what, two, three days since Cricket passed. And so we still, I still have to think, oh, crap, I forgot to take Cricket out. Oh. Right. And then we get sad. Yeah. (laughs) Right now I'm feeling okay because I know that he did have a really good life. He was very well cared for. He was a happy, stupid, retarded dog. (laughs) And he was. He was a complete, he was so dumb. But he was happy and he was sweet and he was probably one of the cutest corgis I've ever seen. Yeah. And I'm not, that's not like a, oh, look at my baby. He's so cute. But seriously, just objectively, he was put together in a way that made him freaking adorable, even for a corgi. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Like I can't, you know, we've had our cat for probably about two years now. And I, and he, he does like come to the door whenever we get home and he'll sort of like then flop on his back and put his belly up and want us to pet him and stuff. And Aww. there's definitely a part of me that hopefully I'll outlive him. I mean, I I expect to, but at the same time, when that happens, there's going to be all those little things that just become a part of your life that you miss. And, you know, if I open the door and he's not there for some reason, just for a second, I'm like, hmm, I wonder what Champ's doing. Yeah. He's usually, from wherever he is, runs right into the living room to see who's coming in. And, like, I could see it taking a couple of weeks to get used to the fact that, oh, he's not coming anymore. So, yeah, that's, that's tough. Yeah. And dogs are so good about that, about making that imprint in your life, because almost every breed of dog will do that. will just come to you when you're there. It's like, hi, what have you been doing? I love you. What's up? I missed you. Let's go. Let's go out. Let's hang out. Let's do stuff. Let's play. Can you feed me? And they just love you. Yeah. And a lot of that is just genetic kind of because they've been with us for so long domestically. Like they were the first domesticated animal Mm -hmm. in all of history, at least for humans. and. That was a really, really, really long time ago that they became domesticated. Yeah, and it's fascinating how much genetic experimentation has been done on dogs that created all these breeds and created them for very specific things. It is like a mad scientist that we have created breeds that are literally perfect for this thing. Yeah, like dachshunds. Yeah. Dachshunds, the wiener dog, the little one. Yeah. They were bred specifically to hunt badgers. Right. Like, and no one really thinks of a dachshund as being a very badass animal. No. Because they're tiny and they look like hot dogs. I mean, but they were bred to hunt badgers, the animal that doesn't give a fuck. Like, right. they will tear your shit apart. And dachshunds specifically hunt them. Right. I saw a special on, on dogs on Netflix, I think, and they were talking about a specific breed. I can't remember what it was called. I wish I could. That was bred specifically to hunt warthogs. To hunt warthogs? Specifically warthogs, yes. Warthogs are fucking hardcore. They are. I mean, it is, it's, they're definitely pack hunters, like most dogs are. But it, it's just amazing to think that, I mean, obviously there are some negatives to that. I love, love, love bulldogs. They're just the cutest, sweetest dogs in the world. However, they ain't built that great. <laughs> they have some serious problems. And maybe they're an example of the negatives of that sort of genetic experimentation. But for the most part, dogs have just provided such an easy ability to do that, unlike a lot of other animals. Well, yeah. And I mean, purebred dogs have vastly more health problems than mixed breeds or mutts. Yeah. Like so many more. (laughs) 
the benefit of a purebred over a mixed breed, even though you know that the purebred will in general have more health problems, yes. is that for every breed, you know what those health problems are likely to be. Right. Whereas if you just get a mutt, they might be overall healthier, but if they are unhealthy, you don't know what you're looking for. Right. So, I mean, there absolutely is that, you know, don't get a purebred dog, get a mutt or a mixed breed because they're healthier. In general, that's totally true. But if you are getting a golden retriever, for example, they are very prone to hip dysplasia. Right. I mean, most big dogs are prone to hip dysplasia, but golden retrievers have that more than most big dogs. Right. So you know that that's something to look out for. Whereas if you just get a big mutt, you don't know if that mutt is going to have a proclivity for hip dysplasia or have a proclivity for kidney failure or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's good to get that breed where you know ahead of time, if I start to see examples of this in its behavior, I know exactly what to do to help it. Right, exactly. And, you know, even a dog with a short life, you can provide it a, a great life. And, you know, we had a dog, when the, the dog that made the biggest impact in my life when I was a kid, we got a puppy for my brother for his birthday. And obviously, you know, in a family, it never really is just one person's dog. Right. It just becomes a part of the family. It was an Akita. And Akitas are a gorgeous breed, for one thing. Akitas. They're big, but they're sweet. They're protective, but they're not overly protective. Um, it was had this really beautiful, like, yellow, yellowish white coat and the curly kind of pigtail that's very indicative of that breed. But then the pointy kind of wolfish ears. Yeah. We had a big fenced in chain link fenced backyard. And uh, when we would see my dad uh, every other weekend when he brought us back, he used to love to be on the other side of the fence from the dog and grab us and kind of throw us around a little bit. And the dog would go insane. It was like, what are you doing? And then as soon as it realized that everything was okay, it totally let my dad come in and loved my dad. And it was just a fantastic dog. Smart, family friendly. It did get clipped by a car once on its hip and ended up having major hip problems later in life and incontinence issues and all kinds of stuff. We did end up putting it down. And that was one of the hardest days I can remember. My stepdad, who I considered a very unemotional person, you know, came home and wept after. Yeah, it's so, it is hard, nearly impossible for most humans to just be unaffected by the pain or death of an animal. Right. Like, it's just really hard for us. Unless you're, you know, sociopaths. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. But we have a very serious, deep down, nearly genetic connection to the dog. Right. And to all of our domesticated animals, but the dog more so than others. Well, except one rabbit in particular. <laughs> and... I think one of the things I know for me that is hardest about having an animal be kind of especially a dog because you communicate with your dog on a regular basis and they know what you're saying. I mean, they don't speak English, but dogs, especially intelligent dogs, can learn like up to or over 250 words and phrases and they understand what those phrases entail. They get your body language. They know you very well. So you feel like you can talk to them and a lot of people do. They just talk to their dogs. Right. And when they get sick or hurt or are near the end of your life, their life, and they get scared because they don't, very few dogs like the vet. Right. You can't explain it to them. Right. And you want to. You want to let them know why this doctor is poking them with things or how this horrible thing that's going on now will make it better in the future. And you can't. Right. And that's hard because we do kind of anthropomorphize the dog more than just about any other animal because we communicate with them so well normally. And that communication. 
communication is genuine. I think a lot of times people misunderstand because human beings really are the height of arrogance as far as animals are concerned. We always yeah. assume that they're just not that intelligent. And then it seems like every year we learn just animals in general can do so much more than we thought they could and can understand so much more than we thought they could. And, and it happens all the time. But a lot of times we still will put emotions or intelligence or ability onto animals that maybe they don't have as much as we think they do. Yeah. But dogs know so much and when they communicate it's so genuine and so like you know there's an argument that goes around in the dog versus cat community where that small pocket of it where it's like well cats don't love you you just think they do and i'm like no i'm pretty sure my cat loves me there's no doubt with dogs yeah not at all like there's no like they love you they love being around you they don't like being separated from you and that is obvious yeah and when you do have to do that thing you know they have gotten to the point most of the time where they trust you implicitly and they don't understand what's going on they figure as long as you're there everything's okay yep and that's the hardest part yep because especially if you have to put one down and we've had to do this i've had to be there for this several times now yeah most people that decide to have dogs they have to go through that a few times in their lives yeah and you put on that brave face as best you can so that they aren't scared right and when we had to put Coco down, she developed a very serious seizure disorder just all of a sudden. And so she spent like two and a half days at the vet, heavily medicated. And it was really weird and hard. And she was clearly confused and very scared. And we knew we were going to have to put her down. And we got there and it was just, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. And we're trying not to cry. We're trying not to make it seem like we're, you know, witnessing the end or whatever. And it was just the worst thing I could have possibly imagined doing. Yeah. But you can't tell her. You can't be like, you know, it'll be okay. We're going to make it all stop hurting. It, it's going to be fine. You can't tell her that. And so you're just like, okay, just kind of pet her and smile and try not to freak out. Yeah. And then go home and freak out when it's over. Right. And that is the way it is with most pets. You know, we've had hamsters, we've had guinea pigs, we had the rabbit, and, and they pass. And it's kind of like, okay, well, that's sad, but I didn't, as much as I took care of the pet and enjoyed holding it or petting it or whatever, for some reason, I never really formed an attachment to any of those animals like I have the cats and dogs that I've had. Yeah. And there's also something that is, I think, an honest-to-God shared communication. It's like, you know, maybe part of the reason that, you know, we're not that attached to hamsters typically is that they really don't seem to give a shit about you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. some of them might, but for the most part, they're like, oh, there's that huge thing that gives me food every once in a while. Right. I know that there are definitely rodents that can't attach to people. I think rats can get attached to people. And yeah, rats definitely. are so much better pets than people Smarter give them credit for. awesome, yeah. <laughs> they really are. But, you know, I know someone that has rats and Madagascar hitting, hissing cockroaches, and the cockroaches are cool. I'm not going to say they aren't, but they aren't. you can't convince me that when she gets home, they're just like, oh, yay. Yeah. But the rats kind of are. Yeah. And her cat and dog definitely are. Yeah. And, and there's also something about something that truly loves you unconditionally. When you're at your lowest point, when you feel like humanity has turned its back on you or that you've done something wrong, there is something to be said about having that living being in your life that regardless of what you've done will lay next to you or is just happy to see you yep and you know it's rare that you can truly piss them off or offend them as long as you treat them well right and that level of unconditional love is just astounding it really is and dogs are one of the purest expressions of that yeah 
even the breeds that have been given the the quote unquote because every generation seems to have that dog breed that everyone's like oh this is dangerous right it's it pit bulls like the Rottweiler now but yeah it was Rottweilers in the eighties yeah. I think Dobermans went through that Dobermans, at one point yep. my dad who is not an overly sentimental guy will still talk about the German Shepherd that he had I don't know forty years ago yeah this is the best smartest dog he's ever had yeah and Germans are just renowned for that oh they're amazing people who have German Shepherd dogs they just they're astounding. Yes. And there just is something about like one of the things I the things I remember about my dog, the Akita, was, you know, she used to have a particular place in the living room that she would love to just lay down on her side and, and snooze. And I would every once in a while just lay down beside her on the floor and put my arm around her and I wouldn't even go to sleep. I just loved having that big fur ball next to me. And on Saturday mornings, it's like, you know, the things it's like with friends, you know, the things that kind of bug you about them are the things you seem to miss the most. Yeah. Saturday mornings, you know, she would always come into my room and lick me in the face to wake me up to let her out. And Saturday morning, I'm a kid or a teenager. I want to fucking sleep in. Right. So I'd always be like, oh, fuck, get up and let her out. And then when she was gone, I was just kind of like, I really miss that feeling of that wet nose and that tongue on my face, you know? Yeah, yeah because it becomes a part of just your routine, your life. Yeah. And anytime you lose a part of that routine of your life, you feel the lack of it, even if it wasn't necessarily the best part of your day. <laughs> it was a known part of your day and an expected part of your day. But to open my eyes and see her face, it was also like it was too adorable Yeah. to be truly mad about. Yep. There were times when Cricket was stupid enough to like eat garbage right. or whatever and make himself sick and require me to steam clean the whole carpet when we got home <laughs> that really was like if you were not so freaking adorable right you'd be at the circus yeah because this is not something no just really and then he just looks up at you with his big brown eyes and his sticky uppy ears and his little no-tailed butt and his stumpy little legs <laughs> yes and it's just too adorable it's like oh it hey. is amazing how quickly animals will change your mood. It is amazing. Or how quickly you can watch them change. Uh, when I was with my daughter's mother early on in our relationship, her family had a dog, a beautiful white boxer, two different colored eyes, named China. And very sweet dog, but very protective of the family. Okay. Like, again, like once she knew the family was cool with you, she loved you. And one day, me and my daughter's mom started wrestling around in front of the family on the carpet, just like, oh, wrestling, just having fun. And she started yelling for the dog, like, oh, China, help me, China, help me. And the dog did not know what to do, because at that point, it was cool with me. But it saw a member of its family in what it thought was trouble. Right. So I remember very distinctly in the middle of this fun wrestling match hearing, Argh! And feeling, like literally feeling teeth grazing my nose. Like it was like bone on skin. Had it been any yep. closer, it would have chomped a hole in my nose. So everybody just backed up and froze and went, oh, God. And then immediately the dog saw everything was okay and put its head Tail in my wagging, lap. Tail wagging, put his it head was on sorry. Yep. It was sorry that it had done that. Yep. And it was just like so like, I can't even be mad at you. Yeah. Like I, I just can't. Well, we had a friend, a couple friends, and... She worked at an animal shelter and would occasionally foster some dogs, which means that they ended up having like nine dogs. Right. And one, their first dog was Nikita, and she was great. Yeah. And they had several after that. In the last two that they got, one was a Dalmatian mix of some sort, stupidest dog ever, <laughs> and one was a bull mastiff. Oh yeah, those those could be intimidating dogs. He was so sweet, but huge, like just gigantic. As a puppy, like an eight month old puppy, he was eighty four pounds or something. Right. I mean he was just gigantic. 
and the couple split and our friend the dude he took the corgi beagle mix that they had Mm -hmm. that was his first dog and the bull mastiff with him and we would go over and hang out with them and they would the two dogs would wrestle well this is a corgi beagle she's like nine inches tall right (laughs) and a bull mastiff weighing in at nearly 100 pounds and if he ever got too rough with her just on accident he she would just bite his nuts Mm -hmm. she would just be like we're done now (laughs) but occasionally he'd walk up to us we'd be eating pizza or whatever and he'd walk up to us and look at us with his huge puppy dog eyes and we're like no jack pizza is not for puppies right and at one point he was doing that to our friend jay who is an enabler of dogs yes he will give a dog just about anything they want i mean i did the same thing with my akita i couldn't resist he was like no jack this is not for puppies he's holding this piece of pizza in one hand and jack just picks up one paw which is as big as the piece of pizza and just puts it on top of the pizza yeah. and pushes down so it falls on the floor <laughs> he was like really this is not for me we'll see about that yeah and there is something about the animal paw i don't know what it is like the cutest videos i can see online about cats are the ones where people are like just kind of hanging out and the cat wants them to pet it and so it'll just kind of tap their arm with that little yeah. paw or when a dog wants something and it'll just put its paw on your knee yep I'm like how can you say no to that you ca- you can't <laughs> i mean i can't at all and it also like you know i do have a little sad tale of dogdom that you know i don't want to bring people down but this is a podcast about emotions and about real genuine stuff you know we talked about theater last week and as an actor sometimes you have to draw on emotional things yeah to provoke an emotional reaction and uh, when i was a kid i used to walk home from school in elementary school and i remember i was god 20 30 feet away from my house and i just see this white lump in the middle of the road and um I I never got off the sidewalk. I stayed on the sidewalk and I got closer and closer to it and I got beside it and it was still in the middle of the road and I was still on the sidewalk and it was a dog curled up in the middle of the road, obviously was hurt, had been hit by something and I thought it was dead. So there's that whole fascination with kids, you know, and and confronting anything that has anything to do with death. Sure. And so I was just staring at it. I wasn't going to do anything. I wasn't going to touch it. I was certainly wasn't going to go into the road. And then all of a sudden it lifted its head up and it turned and looked at me. And it was, uh, I can never remember the name of the breed, but you remember Spuds McKenzie from the 80s. What was he? A bull terrier? Yes, I think it was a bull terrier. I I will never forget the way this dog looked. And it made eye contact with me. And and most dogs, you know, with strangers, they're protective or territorial. If they're just exploring, they can be dangerous. They don't usually just come right up to you. Mm -hmm. But this dog, I think, knew it needed help. And it looked at me and let out this howl that I will never forget. Oh. And then uh, it put its head back down. And I and I was kind of a latchkey kid, so like sometimes my mom would be home and sometimes she wouldn't. And I ran the rest of the way to the house, into the house, just praying that somebody would be home that could do something because I didn't know what to do. Right. And no one was home. And I just had a complete meltdown, complete and utter meltdown. It was the one of the most traumatic things that happened to me as a kid that I remember anyway. Yeah. And, uh, you know, by the time my parents did get home, it had obviously passed on. But in that one moment, that connection of just like all the affection you can feel for an animal, a dog specifically, combined with just the tragedy of the situation, it's it's a memory that's been imprinted on my brain forever. And I'm not saying I wouldn't have that kind of sympathy for another animal, but probably not nearly as much. No, I mean, seriously, dogs are just, they are man's best friend. That's not an English idiom. That's a thing that basically every culture has. Yeah. We are interlinked as species. They are a part of our makeup. 
it is virtually impossible to not feel that connection to them. And they've just fit in so well with our lives. I mean, cats, too, to be totally honest. That's why I think it's silly to say one's better than the other. They are, to me, the animals that throughout history have just fit in the best with humans. And, you know, there's something honorary about having a cat accept you because they're typically not pack animals. And they're just like, when they feel comfortable with you, that is a real decision on their part. (laughs) Yes, that's a very specific decision. Yeah. With dogs, it's like they just have that, like, as soon as you pick up a puppy... For the first time, it owns you and you own it. Like yep. There's no like going back. And unfortunately, that has translated into a lot of people just like being totally absorbed by their cuteness and getting a dog when they shouldn't. Because that's the other thing is you need to make sure you have the room in your life for it. Yes. And for the right one. Yes. Like not everybody has the space to have a greyhound. No, God, no. Not everybody has, you know, the attention span to have a golden retriever. Right. I mean, I would love to have like a Husky or a St. Bernard or something like that. I live in a two-bedroom duplex with no real yard to speak of. That's not going to happen. And you live in the South where it gets really ass hot. Yes, it does. And it's just not fair. No. It's just not. If you have a cold weather breed dog, it's not fair to have one in Texas. No, not at all. You know, that's just not right. I know that we have air conditioning and stuff, and that's fine, and that makes it better, but it does get too hot for them. Yeah. And that can cause serious problems. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess we could move away from the personal anecdotes now if you have some information about dogs. I do. I have trivia. Yay. Okay. I'll get it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Not like a game trivia. Okay, good. Just trivial information about them. So you know how we've said that, you know, every animal is three days away from becoming a wild animal? Yes. Well, that's actually, I found out, not entirely true for most of our domesticated animals, like dogs, cats. What? You mean something that people have said for a long time? That isn't true. Isn't I true. Know, right? <laughs> Amazing. Animals that are actually domesticated, dogs, cats, goats, donkeys, pigs, and ferrets. Those are our domestic animals. Mm-hmm. They are a separate breed from their wild cousins. Right. The ones that have lived apart from humans for generations, they actually have no sign at all of regaining the brain mass of their wild progenitors. Because the wild versions of our domesticated animals, so wolves and big cats, mules, or not mules, horses, non-domesticated horses, mm-hmm. warthogs, and rodents, they have larger brain mass than their domesticated successors. Right. And that was just, that happened via evolution over generation and generation and generation of them being domestic because they didn't need that much brain mass. Right. So, like, dingoes are the best example because dingoes are of the same sort of family as domesticated dogs, but they are actually wild animals. Right. But they have the same brain size as an actual domestic in-your-house puppy dog. Yeah, it's, it's weird. If you ever sit down and watch, which I'm sure many people have, uh, any sort of nature documentary about wolves, foxes, anything, it is astounding what those animals do on a daily basis. Yeah. That just seems beyond our comprehension, being used to domesticated animals like we are. Yeah. And unlike foxes and wolves, dingoes are still basically domestic dogs. They just live in the wild. They're capable of surviving in their wilds, but they're still basically dependent on humans. It's such an advertisement for the truth of natural selection, really. I mean, yeah. (laughs) That That the wild ones just have these huge brains because they're genetic line just demands it. Yeah, and they have these self-sustaining behaviors 
in like wolves and foxes and stuff that domesticated dogs simply don't have. Right. Not that they can't survive. They absolutely can. You can, you find wild dogs all the time. They can. But once you become dependent on something, uh, generations and generations and generations go by. I mean, you become genetically predisposed to be dependent on that thing. Right. Like there are the wild street dogs in Moscow that are, they're just street dogs. They're just strays. All of them. All these wild street dogs. And they take the subway. Right. Because they know how to get to where the food that humans leave out is. And then they take the subway home. Yeah. I saw a story on online about a guy who had trained his dog to take the bus. He likes to take it to this one dog park in particular. And I can't remember why he started doing it. But his dog knows now to go to the bus stop, wait for the bus, get on the bus. And their bus driver's so used to it. You know, they're just like, yeah, come on aboard. Okay. And so they'll stop to pick up the dog. And when the dog sees his stop come up, he will get off and find his owner at the park and they'll play. Yep. And that's pretty amazing. So because of the general breeding that we've done to get our specific dog breeds to do what we want, some dogs are more wolf and some dogs are less. The way that the family kind of breaks down, wolves aren't the direct ancestors to domestic dogs. Mm -hmm. They kind of both broke off separately from a previous ancestor. Mm -hmm. And then those two became wolves and also domestic dogs. Right. But wolves are their closest cousin. So the Sarloose wolf dog carries more gray wolf DNA than any other dog breed. I have never heard of that breed. Me neither. It's the closest to wolf, apparently. <laughs> oh, let's see. Are you familiar with the Yorkshire Terrier? The Yorkie? Yes. The little tiny baby toy oh, yeah. terrier? They're freaking adorable. Absolutely. The smallest known adult dog recorded by Guinness was a Yorkie that was two and a half inches tall and a little over three and a half inches long. Grown? Grown. Full adult dog. Holy weighed Jesus. four ounces. I would not own that dog. I would be afraid I would sit on it, accidentally oh, eat it yeah, in my cereal. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was so tiny. I mean, like hamsters are bigger than that. Yeah, that's insane. It was that small. The largest known dog was an English Mastiff, which weighed 343 pounds. Holy shit. And was 98 inches from snout to tail. Holy shit. That's really, really big. Yeah. Think about that. That is like, that is a person heavier than I am. Yes, that's two of you and a dog. <laughs> oh, at least. And the tallest dog was a Great Dane. And of course it was because Great Danes are tall ass dogs. I love Great Danes. Yeah. Oh, I do too. They're so big, but they're so sweet. The tallest Great Dane was 42 inches at the shoulder, standing on all four. Yeah. That, I've seen pictures of that one. It is ridiculous. That, I think there was a picture of one last year that got voted, got voted, that... <laughs> There's no vote that just they measured it and it was the biggest dog on record and it was a Dane and it showed it like getting water out of the sink. Oh, yeah. Like drinking water out of the sink. Just standing. There are pictures. There are pictures on the Internet of Great Danes who are just standing in front of the refrigerator to get stuff off the top of the refrigerator. Yeah, it's insane. I remember when I was when my daughter was about three or four, you know, she's never had a fear of any animals. She loves them all. And we went to the park and somebody had this massive Great Dane like tethered to a tree on its leash while they were having a picnic beside it. And we go to the park and she just takes off running like without any warning <laughs> without. And she just runs away from me like dog and goes and like jumps on it and hugs it. And I'm just like, oh, my God, that thing could swallow you whole. Now, the temperament of a Great Dane. Thank God that was the dog that she latched onto because it was just like, oh, yeah, a person. Right. I'll give it some affection. But had it wanted to, the dog could have swallowed her whole. Oh, yeah, totally. But that's another reason why they're great dogs. They're big, but they're sweet, and they're 
They're just fantastic. And that's true, actually, of most big dogs. Yeah. Most big dogs are very, very sweet and usually pretty gentle unless trained to be otherwise. Right. It's like if you've ever known someone who really had a pit bull that they took really good care of and gave a lot of love and attention. It's one of the sweetest dogs. Oh, my God. Pit bulls are so sweet. There's really kind of no other adjective to describe them. That's how sweet they are. And they're just adorable, loving, trust. And part of the reason they make such good, horribly trained fighting dogs right. is because they have such inherent deep trust right. and connection to their owners. They absolutely 100% love you and all they want to do is make you happy. Right. So if what makes you happy is to have them be horribly trained fight dogs, that's what they will totally do. And also another sign of their true nature is when those dogs have been abused and they're angry and anybody that's not its owner, it will rip to pieces, but they can be rehabilitated. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a real sign of a dog's true nature is when it's been through this hellish life and then you just show it some love and attention. It's totally like, oh, I'm your best friend and I love everybody now. Yeah, because, oh, as soon as they understand, oh, you're my owner now? Okay, cool. What makes you happy? Right. Oh, me fighting doesn't make you happy. I will stop that immediately. Right. And then we just have to learn what does make you happy, and then I'll just do that. Right. It's great. I mean, that is why they make the kinds of horrible dogs the media is telling us to be afraid of, but it also is why they make such really great companion pets. Right. Uh, so, you know about the Dalmatian, right? Oh, yeah. They're dumb. <laughs> they're pretty dumb. <laughs> I mean, they're said to be one of the smarter breeds, but I've never met one that wasn't stupid as all hell. I helped a, a guy, actually a mutual friend of ours, dog sit his Dalmatian, and it, it was it was a pretty smart dog. I mean, obviously, okay. Dalmatians come with some caveats. Yes, like 30% of them are deaf in at least one ear. This one was basically totally deaf. Yep, that is not at all uncommon. Like, really, a third of them are deaf. Yeah. They earned their reputation for being a firehouse dog. We used to joke that they were a firehouse dog because they were the only dog stupid enough to run into a burning building. <laughs> but it's actually because they have a natural affinity for horses for some reason. And so they can run before the firehouse carriages when carriages were the way that people got from one place to another. Oh, interesting. Yeah. They would run before the, the horses on the carriage to clear the way and guide the horses to the fire. And they were kept in the firehouse to guard the horses from thieves. Oh, that's really cool. And the horses would learn to trust them and get along with them, and they weren't freaked out by the fact that there were dogs there. Right. At least those dogs, because those dogs had an affinity for horses. And so they got along in that way. And then once we got rid of horses and moved to horseless carriages and cars and trucks, they just kind of stuck around so I firehouses never knew can that have dalmatians yep and that's why and i didn't know that until i started doing some research on it either i thought that was pretty interesting it is it is okay so we were talking about pitbulls and rottweilers and mm -hmm. dobermans and stuff and all those big bad mean dogs right you always see them depicted with big spike collars oh yeah the spike collar actually it dates back to ancient greece and the spike collars aren't to make the dogs seem more threatening they're actually there to protect dogs from wolves who would attack them by the throat. Oh, okay. So, Makes sense. like, if a wolf would come attack you and you have a spike collar on, it hurts them way more than it hurts you, right. which is why they have spike collars. No, that makes perfect sense. Yep. So, those aren't for badass dogs. Those are for dogs you're worried about being eaten by wolves. Yeah. And why did, right, yeah, I wonder why, right, why, every time you see a movie with someone, you know, trying to sneak into a junkyard for some reason, it's always a Rottweiler is the dog that's in that junkyard. Because Rottweilers have very hard mouths, so if they bite you, they won't let go. Right. Like, you can't get them to let go. Right. But they're also very serious pack protectors mm -hmm. and highly intelligent. So they're very loyal to their owners, who they see as a part of or the alpha of their pack. 
and they're pretty aloof to outsiders. If they don't know you, you are a danger potentially to them. Right. So if they're trained correctly to be good guard dogs, not not fighting dogs, but good guard dogs, right? they will absolutely protect whatever it is they feel they're guarding. So your property or whatever. And they can hold without killing or harming right. the thing that they're holding. If they're trained to do that, they can just hold you down. Like, if you move, I will kill you. <laughs> if you just stay here, we will just stay here. Right. So in a lot of respects, that makes them really good for it because they can, if somebody sneaks over the fence or whatever, they can just get on them and hold them down. Right. Until the authorities arrive. <laughs> right. Yeah, and there's such a huge difference, too, between a dog that is good at guarding as opposed to a dog that is aggressive because it's scared. Right. Yes, absolutely. Aggressive is different than guarding. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you're just mean, if you're just a mean dog for whatever reason, either because of temperament or training, that's very different. And you wouldn't actually want one of those as a guard dog. No. Because guard dogging is a very specific sort of training you have to give. But if you're able to give one good training for that, then, it, like... Bull Terriers, Akitas are really good for that. German yes. Shepherds are great for that. Even Doberman Pinchers, which for a long time, as we said, were viewed as kind of mean dogs. Mm -hmm. They're not, but they're very good at getting to a place. So in movies, you would see like, oh, I'm a rich man with a big estate and a high wall. Right. And the protagonists are planning a heist or whatever, and they come over the wall and Doberman Pinscher will show up. Yes. That's because Doberman Pinschers are fast. And their senses are very acute. So they know when something is amiss, right. where it is amiss, and they can just be there. Yeah, that is always the thing. Like in spy movies and stuff. Uh, I remember uh, True Lies, I think, was the one where Schwarzenegger was running away from two Doberman pincers. And I think in The Simpsons, it's always Dobermans that Mr. Burns sends after anyone that comes onto his property. Release the Heldens. Yes, because they are very fast and incredibly smart. Yeah. And so they're able to get there and deal with whatever they find. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I wonder if there is any truly mean breed of dog, because it almost always is the case that it, it is how you raise the dog itself. But is there a breed out there that is truly looked at as, no, this dog will fuck you up. It's just in its nature. No, I've never found one. I, I've never seen anything that indicated that there was a dog that was just a mean dog. Right. Because even wild dogs, they're wild, but they're not mean right there's always a reason they're protecting their territory they're yeah, exactly. hunting whatever there's a great i don't know if you've seen this or not but there's this great youtube video of these that i saw of these people uh i don't know where they were but it was obviously some place where the wolves were grown big and they were wild you know this wasn't a sanctuary or something like that and they're just hanging out probably doing some sort of natural research or something like that. And one of the wolves decides that it just really likes this guy. And so it comes up to him and starts, you know, marking him, not with pee or anything, but licking him and rubbing itself against him. And the guy was like, the look on his face is priceless because it's this whole mixture of absolutely petrified because it's a huge animal. Like, you don't really right. think about how big wolves truly are until you see them next to someone and just wonder that this animal decided, hey, you're cool. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because if there's no real threat or danger or whatever, especially if a wolf is at least familiar with humanity. Yeah. I mean, if there's no reason to attack you for anything, they're just not going to. It's right. just a waste of energy. Right. And wild animals do not waste energy. On the opposite end of that spectrum, there are there is a reason uh, that a movie like The Grey was made. One of the scariest things I've ever seen was a YouTube video of these guys hunting out in the, I can't remember, I don't know exactly where they were, but it was snowy, and they hear something, and they start filming on their phone, and they hear a howl, and they're like, well, that's really close. And then they hear another one behind them, 
and then they hear another one to the side of them, and they slowly realize that they are surrounded by wolves that they can't see, oh. who are communicating with each other, and they are—they have decided these guys are going to be prey. Yeah. There's no other reason that they would act that way. And nope. I think these guys did get out of there. They survived. Uh, they managed to clear the area. You know, they did have, like, bows and arrows on them too because they were hunters so you know i don't know how they got out of there but they did that is one of the most chilling things i've ever seen in real life yeah (laughs) i mean i haven't heard that but just hearing you describe it gave me goosebumps a little bit i'll send you the video it's pretty pretty creepy okay anyway what else you got oh let's see so the american kennel club it's the american official purebred dog organization okay and it does uh, Westminster, the dog show, Yeah, every year. Internationally, there are several slight variations on how dogs are grouped for judging in purebred dog competitions. But the AKC specifically, since we're in America, that's the one I'm going to go with, has seven groups of dogs. Okay. Group one is the sporting dogs, which are pointers, retrievers, setters, and the spaniels that aren't toy spaniels, mm-hmm. so like cocker spaniels. And that's basically for the dogs that you would take with you on a fox hunt. Cool. They're not hunting dogs on their own, but they're the ones who will go and get something for you. Like if you're duck hunting, your retriever will go fetch the duck and bring it back to you. Right. Or your pointer will tell you where it landed. Right. Uh, So that's one category of dog. The next one is the hounds, which are the hunting dogs. So these are broken down a little bit, not by the AKC, but just in general into sight hounds, scent hounds, and then others that have combination sight and scent. So the sight hounds are like greyhounds, whippets, the Afghan hound, wolf hounds, and salukis, Mm -hmm. which are basically all very tall, lanky, long, fast, thin-limbed dogs. Mm -hmm. And the scent hounds, like the beagles, bloodhounds, bassets, coonhounds, and the dachshund, again, bred to hunt badgers. Right. Those are the ones who will go out and find the thing, usually kill it and bring it back to you. Awesome. And then others in that group, like the Rhodesian Ridgeback, actually most of the Ridgebacks are in the the hounds group, but the Rhodesian specifically is from Rhodesia. (laughs) Didn't even know that was a place. Yeah, it was bred to hunt lions. Oh, Jesus. Wow. It is a dog that can and will hunt and take down lions. So it protects tribes in places where lions are a thing. Yeah. And the Basenji. Do you know about the Basenji? The name is familiar. I don't know that I know it, though. It should be. It's the soundless dog or the barkless dog. It has a very particular bay that it makes. It's not even really a bay. It's kind of hard to explain. And I'll probably put like a little sound clip yeah, that'd be here awesome. in the podcast. And it is the only dog that does this. And it doesn't bark. And it is usually just silent. Right. It usually just makes no noise whatsoever. But when it does make a noise, it isn't a bark. It's not even a bay or a howl. Some people have described it kind of like a yodel. Okay. And they're a spitz type, kind of like an Akita or a Husky or a Samoya. They're with the thick fur and the curl tail and the pointy ears. Mm-hmm. They have very expressive faces and they're incredibly good, loyal dogs, but they're, they're a hound. They're a hunter as well. Cool. Group, the next group is the working dogs. So these are basically the big dogs, mastiffs, giant schnauzers, Newfoundland, St. Bernard, Husky, Boxer. The Akita is a working dog. Yeah. Uh, these are the ones, the pack dogs. These will carry your shit for you. Right. 
the next one are the terriers. Basically, the whole group is anything with terrier at the end is a terrier. So the Airedale terrier, Jack Russells, which are counted as the smartest of the dogs. Right. Fox terriers, things like that. The next group is the toy dogs. Cool. So these are all the little tiny ones. Uh, Chihuahua, the Cavalier King Charles Spaniels, which are so cute. Yeah. <laughs> the Bichon Frise, Toy Poodles, Lhasa Opsos, Papillons, Pugs, Pomeranians, just the little ones. The purse dogs, that's in the toy group. And these are dogs that are, I mean, obviously they were bred to be small, but they're naturally small dogs. They're not the ones that are teacupped, right. that are really deficient. They're actually just very small dogs. Right. So they don't really serve usually much purpose. They don't work, they don't hunt, they don't sport, they don't herd, they don't do anything, they're just small dogs. Then there's the non-sporting group, which is basically the dogs like the toy dogs, but that aren't small. So Sharpays, Chow Chows, Bulldogs, Poodles, Skipper Keys, those are just the dogs. They're just dogs. (laughs) (laughs) They don't really do anything specific or particular. They're just dogs. And the last group is the herding group, which are your shepherds, your collies, sheepdogs, water dogs, and the Welsh Corgi. Aww. Welsh Corgis are herding dogs, which a lot of people don't know because they're so tiny. Right. They think of herding dogs as being shepherds and sheepdogs. Right. Huge things that will, you know, go behind your flock and weave left and right to keep them going in a pattern. Uh, if you've ever had the opportunity to see a herding dog live, like a border collie or something like that, because we have a Scottish festival around here every year and they have a demonstration of it. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. And they just, they weave behind the flock and they get it to the right to flank it and get it to the other side. Yeah. It's really cool. Well, corgis are herding dogs, but they don't herd the way any other herding dog does. So they don't maneuver the herd. What they do is, because they're so small, they're at the perfect height to nip at the heels. So they don't herd like ducks and stuff that are tiny. They herd cattle. Oh, wow. They herd large breed livestock, and they do that by nipping at their heels. And their stature is so short that they naturally avoid being kicked. Wow. So they'll get behind them, and they have big dog barks. Like, they sound like large dogs. (laughs) My dog used to scare people at the door (laughs) because he sounded so big. He's just this tiny little stumpy-legged thing. But they sound like German shepherds when they bark. They just have an inherently loud voice. Right. And they will bark very loud and nip at the heels of large breed livestock and get them moving and then avoid being kicked. So for this tiny little dog, you can watch them herding. And I mean, largely they will do like sheep, which are still pretty big. Sure. And goats and stuff. They will herd those animals where they are used. Right. Like in the highlands and stuff where cattle aren't so popular, but sheep definitely are. And they use those same skills. So a collie will, you know, maneuver around and position to get the herd where it wants it to go. And a corgi will just run up behind him and go, out Right. To get them moving. And it's really fun to watch, actually. They're very good at it. And like all herding dogs, if you have one, they will try to herd you. And they'll do that by nipping at your heels. (laughs) Which is something you have to train them not to do. (laughs) Sure. I would hope. Yes. And that those groups kind of cover basically every recognized breed of dog. And they all go somewhere. And in almost all of those groups, there is a Spitz-type dog. So the kind like an Akita, like a Chow Chow, is a Spitz-type dog. And I think it's really interesting that there's, uh, I think that, I think that that's called a basal group, the spitz type, Mm. which has that same sort of fur and the curled tail, usually the pointed ears and the kind of roundish expressive face that is common in the types of dogs that are spitz dogs. Mm -hmm. 
And they can be any type. They can be sporting or they can be, I think there are even Spitz type hounds and definitely working dogs. I think that they are some of the most prolific basal group of dog because they kind of exist in every breed. Right. In every breed type, which is pretty cool. It's very cool. Oh, let's see. A couple other little fun facts. Oh, poodles. Yeah. So poodles are are poodles. Yeah. And you know how they have those little puffs? Yes. Do you know why? No, I don't. Most people, and I used to think this as well for a long time, think that the poodle puffs are just aesthetic. Right. That people just do that to make poodles have poodle puffs. Right. But it's actually practical. Poodle fur, and I used to know what all of these were, but I don't remember now. There are a few types of dogs, poodle is one of them, whose fur isn't fur, it's actually hair. Interesting. Which is slightly different than fur. So if they aren't shaved or sheared in any way, they're actually very like long, curly, long-haired, afro sort of fluffy dogs, Mm -hmm. just covered in it. Oh, interesting. It grows really, really long. And because it's hair instead of fur, it actually holds the water in. And they're generally used to retrieve stuff from the water. So their full-bodied hair would weigh them down and make them sink. So you have to shear them kind of like you would a sheep. You don't shave them close, but you shear them and leave the thin layer at the at the skin. Right. So it allows them to swim. But if you leave the poofs around their joints, specifically like their ankles uh, and their chest and top of their head, Mm -hmm. it provides protection from the cold because, of course, they're very thin. Yeah. And their joints would be exposed to cold from getting in and out of the water, and it would make them too cold to continue, and it would harm them. So if you leave those puffs, it provides protection from the cold, but gets rid of the excess hair that would weigh them down. Interesting. Yeah. So you protect their... Uh, vital organs. And actually, a lot of old, they don't do this so much anymore for like poodle pets, but when poodles were used actually to retrieve stuff from water and for work, they would shave their faces. They would leave their head and their ears and their neck with hair, but their actual faces right by their muzzle would be shaved so that they could more easily grab stuff, let it go, and not have things stick to them. Interesting. Yeah. Side note about poodles, as we said earlier, pit bulls are synonymous with uh, fighting and mishandling. Poodles are synonymous with terrible people. Yes, it's very true. It's not the poodle's fault that every movie ever has portrayed rich douchebags as owning poodles. It is not the poodle's fault. It is the French aristocrat's fault. But that has tainted my opinion of poodles. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, mine too, honestly. And kind of like Dalmatians, I've never met a poodle that was intelligent, really, in any way. Even though they're acclaimed as one of the smarter breeds. Right. Like... I have never known a dumb golden retriever, though I know that they exist. Right. But I've never known a smart poodle. Right. Which is just, I mean, I know that that's just my personal experience. It means nothing in in the long run, but still, yeah, they're poodles. Right. Eh. Give us like one or two more really good tidbits if you have them. Okay. Well, obviously in Western culture, we don't eat our dogs. No. But that isn't true for every culture in the world. There are most, especially in several Asian cultures, dog meat is a food that they eat. Yes. I had looked this up a long time ago and then forgot, so I had to look it up again. But specifically in Korea, in South Korea, Mm -hmm. the good Korea, (laughs) (laughs) they do eat dog meat. But whereas when you say that to a Westerner, we think, oh, my pet puppy, like my corgi or my golden retriever, you can't eat that. And that's true. That would be horrible. Yeah. And the Koreans kind of agree. They do keep dogs as pets. Yeah. And they don't eat their pet dogs. They're not like, I'm feeling peckish. Come here, Rex. (laughs) There is an actual dog called the Nurungi. Nurungi? I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it. It's a medium-sized Spitz-type dog, and it's bred and raised specifically as a livestock animal. 
Interesting. It's used for its meat, and it is completely separate from the dogs that are commonly kept as pets. So they keep pets of, you know, whatever dog breed they want to buy that they can get to. Mm -hmm. And they have pet dogs, and they love their pet dogs. And then there are basically just cattle, dogs, dog cattle, that are kept specifically to be eaten. Hmm. Which, in a very large part for me, at least personally, makes that a lot less distasteful. Uh, I mean, I've... It's one of those things, for me personally, that I understand is a cultural thing that, you know, there are certainly countries who think it's appalling that we eat cow here. So I can't, yeah. I don't want to be judgmental, but I don't think, I don't think there's a part of me that can be okay with it either. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even to be like accepting of a culture while I was there or whatever. I wouldn't eat dog. I just couldn't. No, no. I couldn't internalize that it was okay. That's right. just not a thing that I could do. But there is honestly a, a separation for me in something being raised for meat and something being raised as a pet. No, you're right. There, There is definitely a difference. But it's still like, I think for our culture anyway, it, it just still seems like such a, it's just something we cannot wrap our brains around. Yeah, absolutely. It's completely taboo and also very off-putting. Yeah. And still, there is still because they are dogs. Yes. Like, dogs are still dogs. They do still have the traits that we associate with dogs. And the thing is, like, the more we learn about animals, because I think years ago it was always like, well, you know, a, a dog has a personality and a dog shows affection. And, you know, the more we learn about animals, the less that holds true as far as considering other animals that are food animals not having the same qualities. So it's completely hypocritical to go, fuck you for eating dog. Oh, come here. Give me some of that bacon. You know, I mean, right. <laughs> pigs in a lot of cases make great pets. Oh, absolutely. So it's like you can't. I can never judge them for that. It's just like like you say, I, if someone begged me to try, put a gun to my head and told me to try dog, I, I, I couldn't. It would be very, very difficult. And I think that some of that, and I know that any vegetarian or vegan is going to be like, well, you guys are fucking assholes anyway. Right. Which, I mean, that's fine. But meat's delicious, so whatever. <laughs> I don't try to rationalize a way that it's somehow better to eat cow than dog or right. person or whatever. It's just... It's meat's delicious and we do that. But cows in particular would probably be extinct if we had not started raising them as livestock. Right. And they're not extinct because we need them for milk and beef. Right. So, I mean, there's a thing. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that's definitely not true about dogs. No, 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 not at all. Like Dogs are not going extinct if no one's eating them. It seems them. like anywhere you go in the world, you will find some form of domesticated dog for whatever reason. Absolutely. Could be for yep. companionship, could be for hunting purposes, service purposes, whatever. And that's the other thing we didn't even touch on is, I mean, it's not like we're shedding any new light on dogs for too many people. But, right. you know, service dogs, amazing, amazing animals. Oh, yes. Golden Retrievers make great service you dogs. You want to talk about a bond. Oh, yeah. I mean, I saw something the other day. Uh, I watched a video of a girl who is disabled in the, in the fact that she can walk, but her legs are so weak that she has a very hard time keeping herself stable. Uh -huh. She has a service dog that has a harness on its back that it just allows her to be able to walk. She holds onto the harness and walks with the dog as opposed to being stuck in a chair her whole life. Yep. And it's it was an amazing story and watching like how much they bonded and how much like it's not just that she needs that dog, but that dog came to need her as well. Yep. You know, it'll make you cry if you watch it. I teared up okay. a little. But yeah, that's another aspect of dogs that, you know, I'm sure other animals are capable of it. I mean, certainly people have service monkeys and things like that, but dogs just seem to fit that need 
perfectly. Well, yeah, because, again, like all the things that we've said, they're incredibly intelligent. They're very loyal. They're interwoven with us just as a species. And we have that sort of connection that makes it easier, I think, for humans and dogs to communicate the things that we need from one another. Right. And to get along together to accomplish goals. We're inviting something into our house that in many cases could easily kill us. Yes. And the percentage, you know, you hear horror stories in the news all the time about, oh, a dog turned on its owner or a dog turned on a child and its family or whatever. But it makes it seem like it happens way more often than it actually does. Which is like virtually never. Right. But just the fact that we have these creatures in our, because I mean, like I said, I have a cat. I love my cat. If my cat flipped out on me, he'd probably fuck me up pretty good, scratch the shit out of me and do some damage. But I right. don't think there's a way I can think of unless he grows an opposable thumb and figures out how to use a firearm that he could actually kill me. But that Akita sure could have. Yeah. You know, at any time. Yes. And she never, regardless, because, you know, kids can be assholes and not know how to treat animals. Sure. I was never purposefully abusive, but I'm sure I overpetted her or annoyed her or, you know, laid down with her when she didn't want to be touched or bothered. There was never a hint of threat with that dog, ever. Yeah, no. And I think that's the way it is normally. That that just shows you, you know, how we've grown up so much with these animals that it is really like, there. if you really think about it, there is a, a risk and there's a danger, but it almost never comes to fruition because, because of everything we talked about, because of yep. dogs literally becoming a part of your family and caring about you just as much as you care about them. And I don't care what you say. I don't care if you think we're misreading signals or whatever. I think it's true. No, it, it has to be true. I mean, there is no way to interpret that. You can absolutely anthropomorphize a dog into sure. more than a dog, but you absolutely don't have to do that to recognize that there is a sapience in a dog, even in the dumbest dog, yes, that recognizes the emotional connection that has an emotional connection to begin with. Yeah, I saw a great and actually kind of melancholy video one time where somebody put a GoPro on their German Shepherd. Just like, I wonder what my dog does during the day. Oh, yeah. Yes. And I've seen a couple of these. Actually. That dog's whole existence was waiting for its owners to get home. Yep. And then freaking the fuck out when they finally yes. came out. Yeah. Yeah. And they're very attached to us. And part of that's because they're dependent on yes. us. We feed them. And then we keep them inside the house where they can't go get their own food even right. if they would know how. And that's that's one part of Absolutely it. Absolutely it is. But just because we feed them, like we feed cats too, and cats treat us very differently than dogs do. Yeah. Except for my cat who loves me dearly. Well, yes. <laughs> And we can do another episode on cats later. <laughs> well, we absolutely could. I had way more cats in my life than dogs. But again, I don't prefer one over the other. It's just that right. cats are slightly easier to take care of. Yeah. Oh, they totally are. So I think, ha have we said everything we could? I mean, not everything we could say. We could probably go on for a whole day about how great dogs are. But Yeah, but it would end up being like, oh, this dog is so cute yeah. or whatever. It would just be silence and us watching the same YouTube video. And every once in a while, you hear someone <laughs> going, aw. Oh, look. He, aw. Oh, look at look the puppy. What he did. I don't think that makes great podcasting. Probably not, no. Although there is a wealth of React videos where that is literally all people are doing. So maybe maybe we should start the audio React trend where all you hear is what these other 
bullshit reactors do. Anyway, I think that's everything we could say for now, at least in this episode. We, and I'm sure everyone listening to this show, Carissa, is very sorry for your loss because we know how it feels. Yeah, thank you. Anyone that got five minutes in this episode and is still listening knows how it feels. Yeah. Anyone else is like, they're talking about dogs? Oh, fuck this show. <laughs> and turned it off. But hey, if we're going to do a subject-oriented podcast where we cover something every different episode, then sometimes it's not going to be one that you like. But for those of you that are dog lovers, you feel Carissa's pain. We've all been there and it fucking sucks. It really does. It really does fucking suck. But I hope this helped in a way. Maybe therapeutic in a way. Yeah. I mean, because I love dogs. I loved my dog more than pretty much any other dog, except all my other dogs. And most people. Uh, yeah, definitely than most people. <laughs> but, you know, life does go on. It's true. And if anyone out there wants to send their condolences or wants to tell us uh, any other interesting facts about dogs or has any personal anecdotes about dogs in their lives, uh, how can they do that? They can get in touch with me through or with us through Gmail at Lucky10,000, all spelled out, Lucky10,000 at Gmail, or on Twitter at Lucky underscore 10K. Excellent. And as always, of course, you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Stitcher. If you do that, we will definitely read it on the show, regardless of what it says. And please, please, please remember that uh, podcasting is one of those things uh, that is we can advertise. We can we can put our names out there and ourselves out there. We can like and retweet as much as possible. But the best way to get people to know about us is you and word of mouth. So please, if you enjoy the show, tell all your friends. Uh, tell them about all the great shows on the Bearded Pods Network. Uh, hopefully more are coming. And I think that's everything. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. And I hope you got lucky tonight. Good night, nerds. Thank you for being a part of the Lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan and Carissa. Email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Find Lucky 10,000 on Twitter at lucky underscore 10k. And visit our podcast network site at beardedpodsnetwork.com.